Hello, darlings. This is Dame Joan Collins with a very special announcement before today's installment. I wanted to personally invite you to a live recording of Dynasty As They Wanna Be. It's all happening this Sunday, September 29th at 4 p.m. at the Anaheim Convention Center at NostalgiaCon, the first ever convention celebrating 1980s popular culture. Tickets are available now at NostalgiaCon80s.com. I suggest you dress to impress. There will be celebrities, autograph signings, concerts, and, of course, the boys will be dishing all the dirt on Dynasty on stage. I'll see you there. I can't imagine you have anything better to do. Welcome to Dynasty As They Want to Be, a podcast where we drill into every episode of the iconic 1980s television series, Dynasty. I'm your host, Derek J. Lang, and with me virtually is Kyler K. Jafari. Hello. So, and if Dynasty As They Want to Be first, I am in California and you are in Las Vegas, Nevada. Excuse me, I'm live via satellite. Appropriately, you just happen to be in Vegas when we are recording the episode titled Viva Las Vegas. Did you plan that? No, unfortunately, I'm here way too many times than I should be. Yeah, you're there for work. I couldn't join you. But the podcast must go on. And it has. So here we are. And... You go to Vegas a lot. What what are your thoughts on Sin City? Well, I think it's interesting to look at Vegas through the lens of Dynasty circa 1981/82 and compare it to today. You know, like Vegas is a city that's constantly reinventing itself. Although it's kind of like an incidental setting in this episode. So, you know, there's not too much digging in the weeds we must do. However, it's interesting. I've been coming out here for 15 years and it's gone from like that weird thing where they were trying to be family friendly and then they decided they would just know cater to adults who want to have restaurant experiences and actually spend money on hotels and me and not gamble too much. And yeah. yeah, and now now Vegas is sort of in this like third renaissance in the last 20 years or something. And by the way, the Bellagio is the reason why Olive Garden and your mother decided that Tuscany uh, fantasy needs to be the, the design decor of everybody's living room for the last 20 years. So that's another thing about Vegas that's, that's you know, revealed itself to me as I've come out here over the years. But anyway, got nothing to do with Dynasty. So, yeah, I've, I've got my hangouts here. I, I love uh, Carson Kitchen. Uh, that's still, like, my jam. And, like, they don't change the menu at all, which is both a good thing and a bad thing. Uh, but they have a nice bar program. And then there's Haleo, which I've been here since the beginning for that place. Um, you know, if you like your Spanish tapas, it's a little expensive, but they have sherry at the bar. And who drinks sherry except for your grandmother at Christmas? You know, but there's also Momofuku and, uh, the, you know, they opened in Italy out here, you know. So the, again, like it just, it's constantly evolving. Ve- Vegas is a strange little canvas for uh, the American dream, I must say. Yeah, I actually really like Vegas for like 48 hours where you can just sort of like pop in, 
eat at all the restaurants, maybe have like a little spa moment, lounge by the pool. I don't get any pleasure out of wasting my money on gambling. Those slot machines. Well, and I think I think a lot like of people don't. I think that's why gambling revenue is like consistently a couple percent down every year out here. You know, like Vegas is not a place people go to gamble the way that they used to. I mean, there's still your diehard gamblers. Like that's never going to change. But now it's more about uh, charging twice as much for hotel rooms. There's no more free hotel rooms. And the food three times more expensive, even if it's not that much better. And, you know, but there is a food scene, so I'll give it that. And, you know, the cocktails are now $17. It's like more expensive to drink out here than it is in L.A. I do remember once, though, even though I don't really gamble, when they introduced like video game, like skill based machines, I did get kind of obsessed with this one machine and I won money, like not a lot of money, but I kept winning. And then... I, you remember you couldn't pull me away. Well, I wasn't going to, and you were making like sixty dollars an hour on the you know cash cow. Yeah, and they bring you, they still bring you free drinks too, and it's basically just like playing Candy Crush or whatever. But yeah, that was my only experience with with gambling. In well, that's Vegas, been shut down. I walked by those the the other day, and um, they're they're just you know Buffalo Bill slot machines now. Yeah, I thought they. I think they thought that was going to revolutionize gambling, and all the millennials were going to come in droves and then no they just want to go to the day club night club slut club whatever edm thing is happening well that's that's another interesting thing about vegas is it sort of is the harbinger of nightlife in you know american society and like you know in the old days you could stay out till 4 a.m hang out with gangsters lose all your money um and just be drunk for 72 hours or however long your long weekend is but that's not really what vegas is anymore you know like they still have plenty of nightlife of course but yeah there's like the day clubs and people are really just here to eat uh you know so there's like it's not as decadent as it used to be well you know what was decadent this episode was Joan collins's outfits and fallon carrington colby's antics there were there were a lot of people showing their ass on this episode. I could not believe the the daringness. Nicholas Soscani, too. He was acting like a little slut. I want to see the masses. <laughs> well, should we take a break and get into this week's episode, Viva Las Vegas? Bet it all on black, baby. Welcome back. Now... As you kind of were saying, I don't know why this episode was called Viva Las Vegas. There's like one scene in a hotel and a couple no, of establishing shots. No, if anything, it's like, get the hell out of Las Vegas. <laughs> it's like not even 24 hours, which actually is the best way to do Vegas. Well, but also they could have been anywhere. They could have been LA. They could have been Seattle. They could have been no, Valdosta, no. Georgia. Like it uh-uh. didn't matter. No, here's why it was Vegas, because the implication is that it's mob money and that's how low that Blake has gone, you know, to save his corporation that he has to go like, you know, beg and grovel to the mob to buy out, you know, interest in his football team so he, he can hand over the, the big bucks to Cecil Colby 
So that's that's why Vegas. Yeah, no, I know. We didn't really talk about it too much last week because I didn't think it was that big of a deal. But yeah, Cecil Colby is coming for Blake Carrington's football team, which I did say a few episodes ago that I wanted more drama concerning the football team. And now I'm getting it. But this isn't really what I wanted. Blake going to some mobster family we've never heard of in Vegas to beg for $9 million so he could pay off Cecil Colby and uh, rid his hands of him. Like, I don't know. This is boring. Like, leave it to Dynasty to make mobsters in Vegas totally snoozy. Well, mercifully, we only get about, you know, four or eight minutes of this, you know, interspersed with, like, I don't know, Fallon, like, interjecting her opinions about hot quarterbacks, and that's why the team's worth more than what they're paying for it or something. I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm more interested in in the uh, the strange hotel decor, which actually isn't really worth talking about, but that's how bad this, this business storyline is. Yeah, that hotel, if I checked in, I would immediately cancel my reservation and go down to uh, the Sahara or the Aladdin or fuck, even the Circus Circus, like... That place was oh, psychotic. Circus, Circus like, was like was a nice joint back in the day. I mean, it was never yeah. premium, but but oddly, this I think was like sort of across the street from it. What was this? The Desert Inn or something? Which is now well, that's the exterior shot, right? Inside, well, that's all we I have to go what on. They're trying and, to get across. And that's, that's what's now the uh, the Wynn Hotel and the Encore. No, I mean that place was psychotic. You have some weird, like Mary Magdalene statue on one side, next to like a chrome etagere. There's like a hexagonal mirror, a red couch, and then like. Uh, mauve wallpaper like it didn't make any sense well, it's like they this just had a bunch of leftover all furniture the things, that they all put together yeah, that were really bad about early 1980s decor it's they couldn't decide if they wanted to be 70s they couldn't decide if they wanted to just like shore themselves of all of those trappings and just be fully contemporary so yeah you get chrome etagers and buddha statues and you know there's a lot of gray beige and black and tan it's you know but it's also a hotel room so like it's clearly it's not meant to be lived in and thank god they don't because they quickly get on a plane and get the hell out of there well i will say it was a nice touch that they did have slot machines in the airport set because that really sells the fact that you're in vegas baby yeah it do and it's it's like this like vision of what airports were at that time which like not that sexy but compared to today like super sexy it's like the champagne lounge at your truck stop hooker joint you know yeah and what did you think about fallon kind of stowing away and ditching jeff i thought it was super fucking creepy that she was walking by her father and stepmother's bedroom and was like listening in like what if blake and crystal were like getting it on like what a Nasty freak Fallon still continues to be. Well, that you know, I, at least she's not doing like super daddy things in this episode. I think she's exercising her own agency, and that's very much expressed through like the jet plane. You know, technically is like more like Blake's agency, but 
I like that she just sort of like finds herself a stowaway aboard. You know, she weasels her way into this business meeting, even though it's with the mob and like it's not, I don't know, it's it's kind of like Bush League. But I think at the end of the day, like, we we have like Fallon back in in some ways like this is like she's not super daddy and she's not ridiculous flapper she's well I don't know she did have that line about I wish I could have married a man like you who's exciting daddy Jeff is so boring that made me cringe totally yeah I guess you're right that's like Never mind. Forget everything I said. She's still got problems, <laughs> and I don't know how long she's for this world. Daddy with Jeff, there's no excitement. There's no surprises, no sense of danger. Why can't I marry someone like you? Challenging and unpredictable. <laughs> Honey, you don't know how lucky you are. You've never lived with me as a husband. If you did, You'd change your pretty mind very quickly. But I didn't understand why Jeff was so mad that she went to Vegas with her dad. Like, I don't really understand any of, like, Jeff's motivations this episode. Oh, I get them. I under, I totally understand them. I think they're pretty, pretty like, obvious. I, this, this goes into a longer discussion of, of agency because, you know, Blake and Fallon are on the plane, right? You know, like, jetting around. And like to the extent that they're not even really like they don't care where they're going because they're they're there for like six hours or a meeting or whatever, and it's back on the plane. So it's more about the journey than you know the destination. And then you have like Claudia and Doctor Tortellini on the horsies, right? And then you got you know Sammy Joe chasing down Crystal in the the Rolls Royce. So it's this whole thing about like jet planes and horses and fancy cars you know and everybody's got like some sort of mode of of like physical movement that creates action and and you know progress even roller skates yes even the roller skates jeff has like zero agencies who'd you go there to see you mean which lover who i told you i went there with my father to be with my father and who the hell are you to question me anyway your husband babe Obviously, the last guy on the list. He's not. He's like a non-entity at this point, um, especially in that marriage, but certainly in the story as well. Well, you can tell that the writers and crew underestimated what a huge hit Dynasty was going to become, because at one point Cecil does tell his uh, his little nephew Jeff that he's the last of the Colbys. Uh, we learn that Jeff's dad was murdered, I guess, or killed in some way. Uh, Cecil sort of references it vaguely. But I was just thinking like, wait a minute. He's not the last of the Colbys. There's enough Colbys for there to be a whole spinoff at some point. I'm, j- I'm, just, I'm just soaking in a long, hot bubble bath of Cecil as Jeff's father and also as Fallon's father. I think that whole idea is so messed up and so ridiculous that I mean I feel like we're we're stretching the boundaries of of uh of soap opera writing even for nighttime. Oh no, it's a Jerry Springer episode for sure. <laughs> I don't know. Do with that what you will, which I don't want to do anything with. So. Yeah. 
So Blake gets his mob money and heads straight to Cecil to throw it in his face. And I guess their bromance is over? Well, it's questionable. I, I, I don't know if they're frenemies or bros. It's so hard to tell. And can you really be a bro at this age anyway? I mean, when you get to this ripe old age of, I don't know, crowning 50, 60, you, 90 can, you can't tell. <laughs> yeah, because everybody looks like a skeleton. I mean, like, how bro-y can you be? So I don't think it's a bromance. I, I think these are just, like, longtime frenemies. You want to know how I knew it was serious? He rejected his offer of more scotch. Uh-huh. <laughs> I have never <laughs> seen Blake turn down a drink. Well, you know, maybe that's true. It's, it's a litmus test, right? Like, how alcoholic is Blake now? you know and in this one he's like clearly not chasing the uh, 38 year old you know henry kissinger gave this bottle to me scotch so so what did we learn blake loves money and scotch but he loves money a little bit more than scotch but not enough to not give that cashier's check to you know good old cecil colby so and slam mm-hmm. his scotch glass down on top of it as a sort of metaphor i suppose well i like them as enemies more i'm more i think that's a more interesting dynamic than having them be frenemies or bros or whatever well i think interestingly i this is all alexis is doing I think Alexis stirred this all up with the uh, parenthood situation with Fallon and Cecil and, you know, trying to drag Steven out of the the Blake clutches. And somehow mm-hmm. in the weird mix of all of this, Blake and Cecil wound up at the St. Dennis Club kibitzing over a football team. But that was all really just a stand in for you know Blake's frustrations with his own family and his sh- his own shortcomings as a leader and here he is he's like here's your 9 million dollars Cecil and by the way you know I hope you enjoyed screwing my ex-wife and you know turning my son gay I don't know it's like there's like something really screwed up and freudian about the whole thing with their friendship so it's it's even more than just a a rivalry you know we didn't mention that there's a big storm raging in denver this episode it makes the carrington mansion look like it's uh a setting for a scooby-doo episode with all of the thunder and lightning very very frightening yeah it's it's again very midsummer night's dream it's like where the the darkness and the moonlight and you know the the tempest kind of makes everybody cuckoo bananas and you get all of these like crazy scenarios like Dr. Toscani's swinger pad and his sister showing up and, you know, and she's like basically telling him he's a psycho slash psychiatrist uh, and he's got some vendetta for, you know, uh, Blake about killing their brother. And that's where you sort of like, I don't know, it's, it was pretty obvious from the last couple flashbacks. But anyway, so that's the situation. And so now he's like, he's out for blood with Blake, apparently, and his sister's in on it. Well, no, not blood. He just wants revenge. She doesn't want to hurt him. He wants well, that's, to make that's, him that's why suffer. Like she, she says like, Nico, you're a psychiatrist. 
but I almost for a minute thought she was saying you're a psychotic. And then immediately <laughs> he just says, I don't want to kill him. Maniacal smile. And he's, I just want to see him alive suffering, you know, which is obviously a very psychotic thing. So it uh, takes, takes a nut to know a nut, I suppose. But yeah, I'm less interested in his reasons for revenge and more interested in what exactly his plan is. Cause it just seems like he's, getting involved in all of the Carrington business, but I don't really see what he's doing to exact the, his nefarious plan on Blake. As we've said, he's, he's kind of just a a cog in the machinery of whatever this plot is. I don't know. And his, his acting's like kind of uh, egregious, uh, shall we say whatever like i don't like the character anyway so it doesn't matter the other thing about the thunderstorm setting is this is also the the veil of illusion that leads us to sammy joe and steven waking up into you know bed together the next morning yeah that little tramp just met him in the last episode and a couple of thunderbolts come along and she runs t-shirt and panties right into his bed i mean did did you see the totally pervy like camera view following heather's ass with like barely a t-shirt covering it like oh (laughs) yes how could you not like she was she's clearly here for one thing and one thing only well i think she's here for two or three things depending on how you calculate tits and ass okay so yes tits ass and stephen carrington Yeah, and that Stephen Carrington, man, he is a heavy sleeper. The The weather doesn't wake him up, and then this nubile white trash, <laughs> does that doesn't wake him up. But he did live in New York, so, you know, people who live in New York generally are pretty heavy sleepers, right? Yeah, you know, the trash truck, the police, the murders. Heather Locklear. <laughs> but what I like about that is that then you have the morning after, right? Like... The, the thunderstorm goes away and after. the sunlight comes out. Yeah, and I mean, they don't like bang or anything because Steven's gay or bisexual and more attracted to older ladies. So it's not that naughty, but his mama, Alexis Carrington, sees that little tramp walk out the door the next morning and... She's not having it. I feel like this is sort of a, a recall to Sarah Pat from the hooker house and breezes or whatever. Like, I feel like Sammy Joe is this alternative to that. And it's a sort of rewrite of how Sarah Pat was called to the stand to make Steven straight. But she was paid for that, you know? And Yeah, but the difference here is that I think Sammy Joe wants to get on... Stephen Carrington's D like she wants to drive around in the Porsche she thinks his hair is pretty like she's clearly salivating over him but it but again in this situation it's Stephen really never has a say in this and it's again it's this gay amnesia thing where he's not really participating in his own sexuality Crystal knows it too when she finds out from Alexis she kind of confronts Sammy Joe after her roller skating down the damn driveway and kind of seems to caution her. She doesn't outright come and say, Hey, maybe don't date my gay stepson. Who's ex-boyfriend. My husband murdered. This this is a whole thing about Alexis that like, yeah, because you're, you brought up a second ago, she like kind of just 
insinuates herself and shows up here she is in the house again like what is she doing there and she's got like paint brushes and this like really cute seashell belt with the, <laughs> the fuchsia tassels on it or something and she's like listening in and then she sees sammy joe and now she's like but this is what alexis does she sees something and she formulates an opinion and she judges and she paints it and that's like that's like Alexis is like, this is like this great metaphor for Alexis, how she paints. Like she sees something and she interprets it. She interprets it through her own eyes and she makes that judgment. She spent the night with Stephen. You know that for a fact. I saw her in Stephen's room this morning and they weren't playing Parcheesi. You saw them. And so you jumped to the conclusion that they were sleeping together. Now that is bizarre, Alexis. That is twisted. Is it Crystal? Is it? I am talking about my son. And about my niece. What are you saying? That she's too common for him? Is that it? You know, you sound as though you approve. Crystal does not judge. Crystal just asks questions and tries to understand. Uh, Crystal's understanding is very passive. She's sort of like deductive. And, you know, Alexis is very inductive. And sometimes Alexis gets herself in trouble for that. Like sometimes her judgment is off and that's what you find out here. Like uh, Sammy Joe and Steven are really doing anything at all. It's, I mean, if anything, Sammy Joe's just trash trying to like, you know, uh, sneak in on a good time. But for all that crystals like, yeah, but that's not really what's going on. Those two aren't sleeping together. Uh, Alexis really took a turn for me in this episode. You know, I've been standing for her. I've been so excited for her arrival, but I'm sorry, she was just downright evil. Well, like in what way? I mean, she, obviously she's evil, but like <laughs> there's so many ways to be evil. And Alexis shows all the colors of that rainbow. Well, it's one thing to try to blow up uh, her son's relationship with the the tramp in the mansion. But it's another thing to point a gun towards a pregnant woman who's on a horseback like what did she think was gonna happen like what was going through her head i mean there's no forgiving somebody for that you know like she clearly was trying to hurt the unborn baby which is just crazy to me and frankly i feel like alexis is smarter than that like there's got to be other ways to get at crystal and to get at blake like I don't know, just it seemed too nasty for me. I think that more came from like Alexis's like desire to control her son. And here well, she there is. Well, there was like, clearly like no immediate remorse for doing that. Like maybe, okay, oh, I, I went too far. And then, but then she goes into the house to visit Crystal, bringing a, you know, Tiffany baby rattler or whatever. And the doctor's there. Crystal's clearly losing the baby. No, but like Alexis, yeah, she shows up again and she's changed outfits for the third time this show. You know, she's just like got the baby Prezi and they're like, no, no. Uh, you know, Crystal's, you know, with potential miscarriage upstairs. You, you better go away. And Alexis is like, but just for a minute, just to make sure she's all right. You know, like, which to me is like saying just to make sure that she's not all right. Um, uh -huh. And then she she sort of puts the cherry on top and says, I really do care. 
and it's like no she really well she really does care if her plan's working out that's really i so this is all just like alexis like you know executing her wiles and gauging the results i think to your point though it does go a little bit further than she expected and now she feels like she's in a little bit of trouble but she's ultimately kind of cool that crystal's pregnancy might be in jeopardy as a result of her actions well i don't want to get into like a whole pro-life uh pro-choice debate here on dynasty as they want to be but like alexis what the fuck the baby didn't do anything the baby's just like innocent you know like if you have it out for crystal or blake have it out with them but i don't know i just i've been approving all of alexis's nasty machinations but this is one that i cannot support well i think i think when you couple this with the you know the marital sexual violence in the prior season you know that that's sort of indicative of like i don't i'm not excusing it as the time period but it is the time period like that these things are we were more in touch with our our uh, physical human being and i think these things were just more acceptable at least for dramatic purposes and it, it results in a very unfavorable comparison today obviously but. well speaking of going too far dr nicholas toscani was dressed as woody from toy story this entire episode <laughs> that's fallon's kink because as soon as her and jeff get into a little quibble she gets all wet for dr toscani speaking french in the hallway basically throwing herself at him like they're literally frenching they're like exchanging french you know phraseology i would not say french dialogue it's it's kind of clumsy but um so that's sort of i guess the the foreplay to what happens at the end of the episode where she's talking about this dream boy coming out of the mediterranean sea I was turned on <laughs> wet body and wet hair and wet hands. And then <laughs> she says, making me wet. And <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that's pretty clear what that suggests. What is it, Nick? I thought you'd be quick to take advantage of an unexpected pleasure. It's the altitude up here. Well, maybe you shouldn't keep on standing up there i could not believe how hot and sexy fallon and dr nicholas toscani were and that this was broadcast on abc i mean yeah it's like take your pick is it the gunshot you know horsey miscarriage is it the fallon vaginal moisturizing yeah like there's so much that is so nighttime about all of these things like it might be too nighttime for today i don't know that we can say these things in today's world well i definitely did not see this coming well she did and she basically said as much and it's like how many more of these like very sexual double entendres are we going to get in the dialogue but that's the only that's it you know it ends there well i'd much rather watch her talk and fuck dr 
Linguini versus tell her daddy how much she loves him and how much she's daddy's little girl. Like, this is the kind of relationship Fallon should be pursuing. Yeah, but I think he's in. I think he's another one of these like servant of the household, like Michael. Like she, she gets her sexual kicks from one, and you know her daddy kicks from Blake, and she can never really find the right guy to like f- fill that void as it were obviously jeff is not jeff cannot be daddy and jeff is no sex god so that's why she's got nothing to do with him well i think that dr fettuccine is definitely an upgrade from michael the worst chauffeur in the history of chauffeurs so yeah and he drives a delorean instead of some you know six-year-old lincoln limo yeah man and they're really putting that delorean on the screen like anytime they get a a chance like it's parked next to the horses it's outside of his bachelor sex pad it's in front of the carrington mansion like they really should have put the delorean in the opening credits well what they did put in the opening credits was this interesting change for alexis's title card and oh yeah what is that rooftop i mean it doesn't look any more sexy than any other city rooftop but there is a pool and people including men and women and bikini swimsuits i think it's probably like uh where her penthouse is located in acapulco possibly it didn't look very acapulco to me but nothing on this show looks like anything except for los angeles definitely well i think that about wraps it up for viva las vegas are you ready to get into your lurk of the week i think i am Ka-ching. Well, I think for this week's Lurk of the Week, it's probably a tie. I think we probably decided on the same thing because I remember when it came on screen, we were both all aghast at Alexis's plaid red ensemble for skeet shooting. Oh my God. How 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 is there so much skeet shooting on this show? The Carringtons must go through at least like 50K in skeets. They're always out there just shooting up at what the sky. What is the skeet anyway? I mean, don't tell me because you don't know and I don't either. I don't know. There was like <laughs> this like, it's between the horse riding, the skeet shooting, the Rolls Roycing. It's just so like 80s luxuriousness. But all that aside, yeah, the the thing is, is Joan is, you know, hunting for grouse on the moor in this outfit. It is like pure kilt and, and beret action. And it's like, frankly, such a ridiculous out. Again, this character, she is so costume, but not in a tv way like that's literally like in real life that's what she is like she's wearing costume to go skeet shooting i mean technically this is what you would call country attire but that's all derived from tradition which is very lost to those of us in today's world but again this is denver colorado so does she really need to wear grouse hunting attire from scotland to to skeet shoot in colorado probably not well what are you supposed to wear grouse hunting i mean well you know for a very good example you've got the contrast of crystal and the jodhpurs and equestrian boots and you know tan brown pinstripe blouse which is sort of blah and not nearly as exciting so this is why alexis always wins because she's like i'm got i'm gonna put on the the fu red and plaid 
Scottish tartan. Well, I get what the costume designers are doing now. Like they are really selling the fact that Alexis is worldly because we've seen her wearing, you know, an English countryside outfit. We've seen her wearing French art teacher outfit. We've seen her dressed as a waitress from a Mexican restaurant. Like this is a woman who took her Carrington hush money and traveled the world and picked up some ensembles while she was at it. So I get it and I love it. She's standing out. She's the star of the show. I mean, literally when she's skeet shooting with Steven, like the trees are green, the grass is green, Steven's green, everything's green. And then here she is, this flame flickering in the forest i i just i love it yeah but then at the same time it's with with the uh the scottish tartan pattern in green you know so it's it all it all kind of fits and yet totally contrast brigadoon also the the vision of her with a with a double barrel shotgun that's actually part of the look i think like i the the white powder makeup the uh, the dainty earlobe earrings and the the outfit and the double barrel shotgun it's all kind of one and the same the only thing really unfortunate about that outfit is that's what she was uh, wearing when she decided to make crystal miscarry her baby well this is you know the uh, the savagery of the uh, Scottish countryside you know this is, we we pick out your wife and we pick off, uh, you know, your baby. It's it's very, very savage. Alexis Braveheart. Well, Kyler, thank you so much for taking time out of the craps table and away from the buffet to uh, to sit down in your hotel room and discuss Dynasty with me. Are you going to go down to the casino floor and bet everything on red, just like Alexis? Mm. All right. Well, thank you again. And thank you, listeners, for listening. If you'd like to follow along with us on social media, we're at Nasty Podcast. That's N-A-S-T-Y Podcast. We're gaining some, some new followers on Instagram. So join along. I try to put post fun pics, little videos here and there to keep the dynasty love going throughout the week. And if you want to keep the love going, give us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere you can review podcasts. Let your friends and others know about what's going on here at Dynasty as they want to be. Until next week, pull. <laughs>